Greetings, everyone. It is now time for Mark Safe, tales of your very favorite and most beloved man-made disasters. On Mark Safe, we discuss events and details that some may find disturbing. Listener discretion is advised. Please listen responsibly. And now, here with your hosts, Brianne and Melanie, this is Mark Safe. So, I have a creepy thought for you. Okay. Okay. So, we are recording the NASCAR episode and this episode back to back so that we can log some episodes before your big move for anyone mm-hmm. who's listening to one right after the other. Um, and we took a little intermission between and I went and talked to my husband and at the end I said, I'm going to go back to the coal mines now, the podcast coal mines. And he said, yeah, you just walk in there and like, instead of coal, it's just people talking. It's just like voices, like <gasps> echoing off the walls. And he was, we thought about it and we're like, it's actually really creepy. That is super creepy. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, we have to um, go in and harvest all the right words to put them together and make a podcast episode. It's like, it's grueling. I don't like it. I don't <laughs> like it, Brian. And you know what else? Um, so when we were recording (laughs) earlier and we started our Skype, because if you're new and this is the episode you jump on, we've actually never met each other. Um, we are virtual friends, but so you, we started our Skype and when you do that thing where you can't hear me. Yeah. And I'm like, hello, hello. Which happens like every single time. (laughs) And you're like, God damn it. <laughs> and I'm like, hello. And then I'm like, oh, my God, am I a ghost? Like, You are, Melanie. You're a ghost. I'm like, she can't hear me because I'm dead. And I, like, must have, oh. like. I, I think people will still hear you when you're dead. I hope so. I think you have a lot of energy. And I think that when you're dead, you'll basically not be dead. You'll just be, like, a little bit see-through. I want to be, like casper i want to be like but not so sensitive so chill yeah i don't want to be so sensitive but i don't want to be as obnoxious as his brothers either i want to be like i want to have fun i really think that for you it's going to be like the like santa clarita diet basically where you're you're basically just fine you're just a little bit of a transparent melanie i'm a zombie ghost Mm mm-hmm I, yeah, like I was hoping you were familiar with the premise of that. I really love that show. I hate gore. <laughs> I I watched a season or maybe two of it. I mean, I, it's it's a good show, but I'm not continuing. But yeah. I, I do think that is what is going to happen after your demise, whenever it comes. We've been binging Shit's Creek because of you. Oh, you're welcome. It is the best fucking show in the whole entire world. I think we're... Where are you in it? I think we're wrapping up... uh, I I believe we're still on season one. What was last night? Um, The store opening. (gasps) Rose Apocathery. Am Mm -hmm. I saying that wrong? That doesn't sound right. We just talked about this a couple episodes ago. Remember the the Shields Green episode where every single oh. word I said wrong? Yeah, my <laughs> right before we started recording, um, my aunt, well, it's Eric's aunt, but she has mine too, which it's so wild to me, the different people that we know that listen and then they comment on it or like send me a message about it. And it's like, oh, I never thought about you listening you to listening it. to it yeah right? like, i i I guess i kind of have like some general listener in my head that i'm kind of imagining recording for and i don't think about the people that i actually know who actually are listening and then they say something about it and i'm like oh you've been listening <laughs> it's weird when we see like well for me when i see our downloads and i'm like holy shit and then yeah like i I'm definitely like, don't know that many people <laughs> and then we got you know that tweet the other day with the girl that was talking about um she, sh- she had the picture of the lighters mm-hmm. and it just said flexible shaft on it <laughs> and i was like it just 
it made my heart explode. Yeah, it blows my mind that people we really don't even know are finding us. Hi, people. But we, then it we also, love you. Uh, my mind is very easily blown because it also blows my mind when people I do know <laughs> listen to it. Um, and <laughs> right before we started recording, um, my aunt-in-law, I suppose it would be, who is the best human, uh, messaged me and said, yay, I'm all caught up on Mark's safe. I listened to Melanie try and say mesothelioma probably 20 times and it never got old. The only <laughs> reason I'm not still listening to it is because I forced myself to stop. I'm definitely okay, going to find that spot and let Joe here tonight. Did I do yeah. it right that time? Mes- I, mesothelioma. I try it a few times for Mandy. She deserves it. Mesothelioma. That sounds right to me. Yeah. What was, there was another one. Diphtheria. I will still never get um, okay, but the you... rhinosaurus, the rhinosaurus. Oh, no, me How do you either. say that? I, I don't. I say rhino because I can't pronounce it. Yeah. It is yeah, what it is. I don't know about the diphtheria thing, though, because... So right after we recorded the episode where we were saying diphtheria, um, Eric sent me like a, you know, like a pronunciation thing of it, and it said it how you had it. And I was like, I'm not going to tell Melanie she was right. I'm, I'm not going to. No, I'm going to keep this. But then you are you, fucking mean. I know. I'm a Hufflepuff. But I'm my Slytherin child is rubbing off on me. But yeah, no, I was I was going to keep that to myself. But then you messaged me that you had found it and it was the way I said it. So maybe they're both right or. We do what we want. It's our podcast. Mm-hmm. If you want to hear diphtheria pronounced. In a consistent and correct way, this may not be the podcast for you. Yeah, and if you don't want to hear about shafts, it's oh, definitely this is definitely not the podcast. Definitely for you. not. <laughs> See yourself to the door. It was nice having you. Bye. Now that just our shaft-loving uh, diphtheria variable friends are here, what are you going to talk about tonight? I have a really good one. It's another one that I've been working on for a very long time. I think you've here been and working there. on everything for a very long time. You always uh, have like 10 brilliant, wonderful irons in the fire at once. I know, but the next episode, my next personal next episode, and I will go ahead and put that out there um, just so like... If somebody does this before me, it's time stamped. Um, my next one, I'm I will be doing Britney Spears. Okay, I think a lot of people are doing Britney Spears in this day and age, but I don't think that a lot of disaster podcasts will be presenting competition. I am almost halfway through the Britney and Kevin documentary that they did back in the early aughts with home video like i am going there i'm listening to all the songs i I am watching all the shows and living for that episode that's not tonight is it no it's not tonight because we have to start earlier so i can like fully savor it when that comes and i'm so glad that you're my co-host because i'm so glad that you have the same approach to what is a disaster <laughs> that I do. Everything's um, a fucking disaster. It, it's our fucking podcast, guys. I mean, that's... It's, uh, I, I don't want to put anyone off, but it is. It's it honestly, is. like, how you look at it. Yeah. It, you I, know? My goal is that I want to make a podcast that is about things that I want to listen to a podcast about, which tends to be disasters, but it's also Britney Spears. But I mean, honestly, never mind. I'm going to start getting into research and okay. this is not the episode. No. no. What is, what is this episode though? Okay, so this story that I'm doing tonight was actually it was first brought to my attention by my father-in-law of, you know, the wedding goat fame. Oh, yes, yes. Yeah, um so when we before we even recorded our first episode, um he brought this up like we had told him that, you know, I was doing a podcast and he's like, well, you should look into this. And also when we first launched our social media, I don't know if you remember, I made that post asking the horrible ghouls, like, what do you want us to cover? Yeah. yeah. Well, funny enough, 
um, a girl named Leslie Stewart. She also requested this. So I was like, well, I have to fucking do it. You know, okay. it's my father-in-law, a horrible ghoul asked for it. It's based in the state where my husband's from. Like, it's just going to be easy and wonderful. It was a little more complex. So it's taken me a little while. So this is going to be the episode about the 1976 Teton Dam collapse. Ooh, okay. This is a very classic disaster. It's a classic disaster. Um, it's not super old timey, but it's not super new either. No. Um, it's it's interesting. It's really interesting. So, after a severe drought in 1961, followed by a severe flood in 1962. Mm. Um, yeah, like. <laughs> That's some kind of fucking right? Like, shit together. It's like one extreme to another. It's like, we need water. It's like, okay, Not here's all the fucking water. <laughs> you, you know what I mean? Um, but yeah, so it just, there was a drought and then there was too much. And because of this, there was like, there had been like talks, but interest in building a dam was like on the Eastern Snake River Plain. It was, it was growing momentum like people were like okay enough we have to do something about this so i bought another book it's a purpley tile titled the teton dam disaster um if you want to check it out like i totally recommend it's not so much like a like a wordy book that you read it's um, more of like a photo essay (laughs) which is really cool because it it'll walk you from start to finish of the disaster but it's all with photographs the only thing that like kind of bothered me about it is like, I don't know, I don't want to say low budget because that sounds really fucking rude, but it's in black and white and it's 1976 and I know some of these photos were in color. Like somebody had to have had a camera that took color photographs. Okay. That's, I know. that's a, a reasonable grievance all out. But it's, but it's great. It is a good book and um, it really like, it's beautiful and it, it really kind of puts things in perspective. So in the book, um, it basically cites that the Teton, Teton Dam was built primarily for two reasons. As an additional source of water for the area's numerous irrigators and as a check against the spring waters. So while a chunk of people wanted construction of this dam, you're always going to have pushback by some people. Right. It just. Yeah, my city is engaged in a deeply heated debate about whether chickens should be allowed right now. So, yeah, there's like always personal someone. chickens. Yeah, like having chickens at your house. Not like eating chickens. Like having What the chickens. fuck is wrong with that? I mean, I am I obviously mean, do you, on the pro chicken side of the debate, but it is amazing. Do you know what heated. the anti chicken debate is? Um, the anti-chicken debate—it's just a bunch of a bunch of Karens. I don't know. It's like uh, collecting rainwater. I still don't fucking understand not being able to collect rainwater. Mm-mm. It's yeah. weird, right? Yeah. Oh, it's absolutely weird. We had a move because of a really heated debate. This is how we wound up in Louisiana. We were never supposed to be here. What? Yeah. Um. So. As most know, Cody flies helicopters um, and we moved, he got a job with a company and we moved from um, Vegas to Colorado. And basically um, the people working on the oil fields and stuff, um, they were spending a lot of time on buses getting from, you know, where they were to their place of work. And it was like, it eats up a lot of money when you're just doing all this travel time. So they were like, you know what? We'll just, we'll have this helicopter company and they can just fly, you know, our workers to the, to the oil fields. Well, the ranchers were not having it. They were like, these helicopters are going to distress our cattle. I mean, that's fair, I guess. Yeah. And so it got the boot. The people won that one. 
And I'm kind of glad they did because I really fucking love Louisiana. <laughs> oh. You know? And now their cows can. Yeah. Their cows can can sleep peacefully. Sleep peacefully. People hate helicopters. Like, I never realized helicopter hate until <laughs> we were, like, in the industry. But more people hate helicopters than they don't. Why? Uh, I never I, thought of helicopters as controversial. Yeah, it is. Um, it, it it gets crazy. Like, a lot of pilots won't wear their uniforms, like, in public. Because oh people can God. be really rude. Yeah. Why? Um, like, well, for instance, like, if you live in a flight, like a flight pattern. Um, mm-hmm. I know I'm saying the right thing. Say you have them zooming over your house all day long. But I don't know. Do your due diligence. Here's another word I can't say. And make sure that, you know, you're not living in a place that you can't handle noise. Yeah, I would think you would get used to that. We lived incredibly close to a train track once. I mean. Oh, I've done. I lived across the street from a train track. You just. It wasn't even across the street, really. I mean, it was maybe, I don't know, 100 feet from the front door. But I actually loved it. Yeah. So. They wanted to build this dam, and there were some people, they were they were not happy about it. Um, so they immediately put a lawsuit in to stop it before it could even start. However, this did not stop the bidding process of, you know, who is going to, you know, build this dam. And Morrison Nudson Company Incorporated was awarded the contract that totaled a whopping 39 million oh wow yeah it's like over 39 million dollars was um the bid that won out um i threw that in the inflation calculator and that's uh i was really surprised because 1976 isn't a gazillion years ago it's only four years before i was born but that 39 million today would be 243 million wow so that's a that's a big contract you were born a billion years ago and just haven't come to terms with that yet I know. I'm going to have my midlife crisis when I'm 70. I need to stop talking shit to you all the time. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. You're eventually going to quit. It keeps me young. (laughs) Something needs to. The lawsuit, Trout Unlimited versus Morton, was still looming, though. Several environmental groups buddied up to take on this massive project. So they filed a complaint with the Idaho District Court on September 27, 1971, um, the following month, they amended that lawsuit, citing violations of unspecified laws, which hmm. is interesting. Additionally, they would also file several motions for injunctions against the construction in 1971 and 1972, but the court just denied all of them. They're like, get out of here. Oh. Wow. So, and so the construction of the Teton Dam would break ground in February of 1972. The environmentalists did not back down, though, and with the dam in the beginning stages of construction, they amended their original complaint a second time in May of 1972, alleging violations of numerous laws, including the National Environmental Policy Act of 1969, or the NEPA. The purposes of the NEPA are to declare a national policy which will encourage productive and enjoyable harmony between man and his environment to promote efforts which will prevent or eliminate damage to the environment and biosphere and stimulate the health and welfare of man to enrich the understanding of the ecological systems and natural resources important to the nation and to establish a council of environmental quality. Um, But again, their case was dismissed and the project, it just continued they they could not get a good shake at this at all and then they ended up on a disaster podcast Mm, sorry (laughs) sorry trout people so the teton dam would finish construction in november of 1975 they soon began filling the reservoir at a rate of one foot per day so they fill it up and then it's like and just goes a, a foot higher um, that one foot per day is actually pretty standard with dams. Do you know why? I think, you know, it's just after so many dams are built, they're like, 
this is what works. This is probably what's safe. Mm-hmm. Or it's probably an OSHA guy. Mm. Five months later in April, they would actually double that standard filling rate to two feet a day to help alleviate um, larger than normal um, spring runoff that was caused. They had a pretty heavy winter that year. Mm -hmm. Um, So they asked for permission and they got it. And so now they're two feet a day. Hmm. A month later in May, a construction engineer received permission to double that rate to now four feet a day. All right. Settle down. Yeah. They, they're feeling it. They need they want to feel it. Mm. Um, and so they basically continued to fill it until one morning in June when things would go absolutely sideways and the Teton Dam collapsed just shy of 30 feet from being completely filled. So how high was it? Do you know? Um, it was over 5,000 feet. Oh, my God. Yeah, they were literally only 30 feet from the top. Oh, hell. Okay. Yeah. So let me share with you the sequence of events that led to the collapse. Um, I did find some notes for a presentation made uh, by a fellow named Wayne J. Graham for the Association of State Dam Safety Officials 25th Anniversary Conference that details the exact order of events. And I'm I'm going to kind of go off his notes because they are, I mean, he said it at a conference. They're super fucking thorough, okay. you know. Um, and it, it really gives a sense of the calamity. Also, like, conferences are funny to me. I, I don't know. It's just weird. Like, I've been to one conference, but you just, when you see them, like, on TV and, like, everyone's just information overload and then they all get trashed at the hotel bar (laughs) yeah it cracks me up all right so on june 3rd two small seeps were noted at 1300 and 1500 feet downstream from the toe of the dam on the right abutment flowing at about 40 to 60 gallons per minute respectively Mm. on june 4th one small seep was noted at 160 and 200 feet downstream from the toe of the right abutment flowing about 20 gallons per minute. Now on June 5th, this is where like all hell breaks loose. At 7 a.m. that morning, a slightly turbid leakage was first noted at elevation 5200 coming from the right abutment. So like it's it's at right up there at the top. Um, they, there's see a little leak. Okay. Between 7.30 and 8.30 in the morning, this is just half an hour later, mm. a turbid leakage was first noted at elevation 5,045. It was examined and it was estimated to be 20 to 30 CFS. So I will be seeing, saying CFS from here on out, but I wanted to take a second to explain it because honestly, I didn't know what the fuck it was <laughs> and I daydreamed during math class. So I don't even know if they discussed this during math class. So if you're like me, here it is. You get a quick lesson. So for water that is in motion, cubic feet per second or CFS is the unit of measure. One cubic foot is equal to just under seven and a half water or just under seven and a half gallons of water. So one CFS is equivalent to almost 449 gallons of water flowing per minute. That's just one CFS is 449 gallons. So I'm going to give you drunk Melanie CFS. So one CFS is like. 2,244 bottles of wine gushing out at you in one minute. Oh, my God. Just for a visual. That's a lot of fucking wine. In one minute, over 2,000 bottles. Oh, shit. Mm Mm-hmm. So at 9.10 that morning, leakage at elevation 5,000 examined that it was estimated at 2 CFSS. At 9.20, 10 minutes later... The leakage at elevation 5,045 was examined again. That's the one they examined earlier. Mm -hmm. And it 
had jumped um, from 40 to 50 CS uh, to f- between 40 and 50 CFS. Oh. So it's been less than an hour and it's already jumped 20. Shit. I promise we will get out of this math. <laughs> 9 30 to 10 a.m. The project construction engineer, or the PCE, considered considered alerting area residents, but decided that an emergency situation was not imminent, and he did not want to cause panic. Is this guy Captain Scatino? Hmm. These people. 1015, a wet spot at elevation 5,000 formed rapidly and began to leak and erode the embankment. 1030, a loud noise is heard by several people. 1040, two dozers begin to push materials into a hole at elevation 5,200. So they're basically trying just to shove shit with bulldozers to stop it. 1043, PCE notifies the sheriff's department in Madison and Fremont counties and invites them to alert the citizens of potential flooding and to be prepared to evacuate the area downstream. So he did it like it was an hour later, but he did it. Brian. Yes. At 11 a.m., a fucking whirlpool. Develops in the reservoir. Oh my god! Can you imagine that? Like, no, a whirlpool. So between eleven and eleven thirty, additional notification is given to Madison and Fremont County Sheriff's offices to evacuate the areas that are like you gotta go. Like this is yeah bad, and um, efforts were initiated to try to fill the the whirlpool to stop the whirlpool from happening. God. 1130, dozers slide downstream into the hole. <gasps> mm-hmm. Oh. The operators are fortunately rescued. Um, I guess there's actual, like, aerial footage of this, like, happening. Oh, my God. Um, I, when I was, I go through all my groups and reddits and all that stuff, and uh, I saw a comment on a thread, and there was a guy saying that he wished... Like, he remembers sitting down watching the news and, like, seeing a man race from his dump truck. And, like, immediately the truck was just, like, swallowed behind him. Mm. I don't know. It seriously sounds like some Jumanji shit. Like, it's so crazy. I couldn't track down the video. So, if anyone's listening and you can find it, like, please post it. I want to see it. Okay. So, we got our whirlpool. 11.45, a sinkhole forms <gasps> at oh elevation 53.15 on a downstream face of the dam. The dozers attempting to fill the whirlpool were removed from the top of the dam. Isn't that crazy? Yes. It's happening so fast. Five minutes later at 11.55, the dam crest collapse. Oh. What happened? 11.57, the embankment is breach. Between 12.30 and 1.30 in the afternoon. So this is the peak of the dam failure outflow. Um, and it's like, okay, so I was talking about the CFSs, right? And it was like 2, 20, 40. Okay, right now, it is... At like two million. I looked at pictures of it so I could picture this. Oh. It's insane, right? Yes. So at, between five and six at night, the Teton Reservoir is empty. All that water's been Somewhere out. Somewhere else. Yes. Mass flooding quickly followed the collapse. Almost 100,000 people in Sugar City, Rexburg, Roberts, Idaho Falls, Firth, Blackfoot, they are, like, getting terrorized by these, like, raging waters. You know what's funny is I just found out, you know, because Cody's from Idaho, and, you know, this is, these are, like, small towns. Um, one of our moms, Kelly, the vet, 
she's in Idaho Falls. Oh. Hi, Which I thought was cool. Yeah. Did you see that picture of the, because um, she's a vet, she was working on that gibbon where the dad tried to rip off its scrotum and its leg, and she was like sewing it all back together? Yeah, she's so cool. It's the coolest thing ever. I mean, not the assault on the monkey, but like <laughs> the fact that she's sewing up the monkey. She's very cool. <laughs> very cool. I'm a fan. Yep. So the flooding from the collapse was horrific. Um, business owner Ron Laird of Rexburg said, I was right in front of my shop when the water came. I jumped in my car and started driving up the hill. When I turned the corner, the water was only half a block away. A huge drill rig and a truck came bobbing down the street like toys. And the cattle, they were floating by the thousands. Oh. Most of them were dead, but some were still desperately trying to swim. Oh, there's, that's the worst. There's a ton of cattle in this area and the loss of livestock is like, it was, uh, I there's no words. I completely hate that. I did find... There's a bunch of video clips. You can find a ton of video um, about this disaster on YouTube. Um, there's one that I watched where, like, the houses, they're, like, literally floating down the street. It's weird. Oh. One witness said it was like somebody was driving the house. It just raised up off the foundation and came out on the street. It made a right-hand turn, went down a harbor block down the street, and then kind of made a 45-degree angle and left-hand turn, went through the park, and landed about a block away. That reminds like you, me, when are you going to do Katrina? Oh, I don't know. That's so heavy. It has to be you. I know. I need to. I need to. Okay. I have to get... I. It's going to take a while yeah. on that one. So, as we know from the timeline earlier... Warnings came kind of late. Um, also, a lot of these warnings, they like they were by word of mouth. Like there, I'm sure there was like a phone tree or whatever, but it was basically like neighbor warning neighbors, like yeah. get out. Um, this could have been actually way worse than what it was. Um, while it was difficult to convince some um, of the sheer volume of this looming disaster. Um, the fact that this collapse happened in the middle of the day saved countless lives. I mean, if this would have happened in the middle of the night while people were sleeping, mm -hmm. this would be a whole fucking different story. Like, simple as that. Um, in all, the flood claimed 11 lives and some were by drowning and some were other things. Oh, no, like what? Oh, here we go. Um... First, I want to take a minute and I want to thank the Museum of Rexburg for taking time out of their day to send me additional information and obituaries for some of the victims. Um, it was really hard to track that stuff down and uh, it was really cool of them um, to do that for me. And I definitely want to visit, you know, because um, Cody's family is there. So next time I'm in Rexburg, I am definitely stopping by whenever this pandemic is over. They also have this really cool shirt. It says, uh, pray for rain. We lost our damn water. <laughs> and oh. It's so fucking funny. Oh, and I need, we need that. I know. I probably should buy it because imagine with a pandemic, like closing everything, like they're probably not getting the cash flow that they normally do. Although I'm not sure how much cash flow that type museum <laughs> gets. But yeah, check, you know, look at their Facebook page. Give them a like, uh, Museum of Rexburg. Uh, it was formerly known as the Teton Flood Museum, but people like to complain about the dumbest stuff. So, yeah, it's the Museum of Rexburg now, not the Teton Flood Museum, which is terrible. So the first victim was 21-year-old David Benson. He was the only drowning victim that wasn't officially warned about the dam collapse. This is due to the fact that him and his buddy were actually fishing on a small island in the Teton River about two miles from the dam. His obituary said that he was an avid fisherman and hunter and also enjoyed archery and skiing. He had actually just been engaged that summer and this shit really breaks my heart because I keep coming across this. Like literally it feels like every story and it just puts a big fat chicken bone in my throat. 
Anyways, David was fishing with a friend named Daryl that day. Um, I came across an article. It was called The Man Who Rode the Flood. Uh, it's a really intense account of Daryl surviving the dam collapse. Um, so David and Daryl went to the small island to fish. They had just stepped on a dry land when they saw a, an airplane flying kind of low. And it was low enough to where, like, they could see the pilot. And the pilot was waving at them. Now, I'm from Kentucky, and I'm sure you get this in Indiana. Like, everybody fucking waves at everybody, whether you know them or not. Oh, definitely. Right? Yeah. So, they didn't recognize the pilot, but they were just like, they just waved back. Yeah. Um. They didn't realize that guy was just like, get the fuck out. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um. So, they just waved back at him. Immediately after this ch- exchange, the river rose six feet. Like, like, like that. Like, it's all of a sudden six feet higher. And that's, that's taller than me. And that is fucking frightening. Yeah, that's terrifying. Um, So Daryl, he looked upstream and then he saw a 30 foot wall of water crashing down the canyon. Oh. Mm hmm. Daryl said, I turned around and yelled at David, telling him to jump in the river. That is what I did. We started swimming, but that didn't work. That was the last time I've seen David. Daryl had an exhausting struggle with raging waters, but ultimately was able to make it back up to the surface long enough to grab a log so he could stay afloat. Um, the article said that Daryl cussed and then prayed all while listening to the cattle cry and watching homes literally being lifted off their foundations. And I can't fucking imagine that. No. Um, at one point, the log that he was on, it bashed into another one and he broke five ribs and punctured oh. a lung. Mm-hmm. Eventually, Daryl was able to climb a tree and he waited there for four hours um, before he was finally rescued. Um, his friend, David, he didn't survive um, the first victim and they actually recovered his bottle body um, only a quarter mile from the cottonwood tree that uh, Daryl had climbed. Mm. Husband and wife, Clarence Dahl, age 79, and Florence Dahl, age 76. They also did not survive the collapse. Their grandson actually gave them an in-person warning to get out, but they were not able to leave in time, and ultimately they both drowned. Uh, they were married August 15th, 1918, and they had celebrated their golden wedding anniversary, um, of 50 years, just eight years prior to the flood, which I think is so beautiful and a total testament of their love for each other. I mean, to be married that long, like, I just had my six year wedding anniversary. I love my husband, but he's driving me crazy. (laughs) He doesn't take out the trash. We're not going to make it that long. Oh, thank you. I love him. I complain about him, but he's stuck. Um, I don't know. Both of my parents, you know, they've passed and that's pretty hard. But I don't think I like can't even fathom what it would be like to lose both of my parents at the same time. No. Like, oh, it's heartbreaking. It's so heartbreaking. Um, Charles McRae, age 55. James Bedford, 33, and Glenn Bedford, 30. They also lost their lives. They were trying to remove items from uh, the home of Glenn's in-laws. Um, as they were driving away, their pickup was struck by an 80-foot wall of water. That's horrible, but 80-foot walls of water are what this podcast is about. Yeah. So the next set of fatalities, they're not drowning from flood, but some other, some weird, but all unfortunate events. Um, Stanley Peterson, who was 51, accidentally shot himself when he tried to remove his gun from the vehicle during the collapse. Oh, no. Yeah. What a horrible plot twist. Yeah, total plot twist. Um, John Hayron, 72, he suffered a heart attack while loading valuables and emergency supplies into his vehicle in anticipation of the order to evacuate. This poor man, like... Wow the fucking stress of that like you don't realize that like they're like when stuff like this happens like there are a ton of things that can take you out like this he's probably terrified 
Uh, in a separate incident, Natalie Pendry, 62, she also uh, suffered a heart attack. She had a previous heart condition, but the stress of the evacuation is said to actually have contributed to her to her death. Um, she passed away the day after the initial collapse. Mary Gillette, 94, she was Teton City's oldest resident, and she died after being evacuated uh, the next day. Oh. And finally, Karen Virgin, 29, um, she died on June 10th from a self-inflicted gunshot wound. Authorities attributed her death to psychological problems resulting from the Teton Dam flood. Uh, I couldn't find much information on that. It's speculative, but I imagine, like, it was probably some sort of PTSD because this, oh, yeah. these towns, like, were wrecked beyond belief. Um, she left behind four children and she was preceded in death um, actually by a son and a daughter. So as far as recovery, um, a disaster center at Rick's College was created to aid the disaster relief. Um, with dormitories open, the college would house about 2,000 people every night. Some of the people staying at the college would also include the National Guardsmen, power and telephone workers, and among those who were just washed out of their home. The first priority and relief was trying to set up communication with the outside world because everything's knocked out. AT&T and Long Lines Department in Mountain Bell worked to create six outgoing lines via microwave into wow. Idaho Falls. Uh, look, I when it said microwave, like I, I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> That's so fucking cool. Um, the first thing I found was like there were people actually microwaving their cell phones and trying to call it, which is don't do it. No. And it's weird. I can't believe that thing. Um, but um, the whole microwave thing, it's like a m microwave tower that sends out signals and transmits signals. And then when I realized that it was an actual microwave, I got completely bored with that rabbit hole. So <laughs> I that's it. That's all you get. Okay. Fair enough. <laughs> um, so they set up six lines. One phone line was for civil defense and the other five was for residents that were left homeless. So they could like basically contact, you know, other family and let them know that they were okay. Um, in the introduction of the Teton Dam disaster book I was telling you about, uh, Dylan McDonald writes, Teton's story is more than just a destructive force unleashed upon the valley, though. The coming together of people, regardless of class, race, or religion, will be remembered just as much as the destruction. Reactions to the disaster were memorable with neighbor helping neighbor, Mennonite assisting Mormon, and strangers relieving the plight of victims. The response was so complete that one has to know where to look in order to see the signs of the greatest tragedy in eastern Idaho. And it was true. It's very well documented. Like, the surrounding communities really pulled together um, to volunteer and help. They had buses that were, like, loaded at four in the morning. Um, they'd come in to, you know, help aid and clean up things. And they would literally labor all day and not even come home till it was, like, well after dark. God, that's intense. It is. Cody's grandma Barnes, she actually volunteered for this, I found out. Oh, my is, God. Yeah. Um, she came from Burley to Rexburg by a bus also. Um, she told me, she said that the smell was so strong, it's like, it's, it's impossible for her to ever forget it. Um, she said the mud was like glue and trying to clean it off of things was much harder than you would ever imagine it to be. She had helped a lady clean her home and worked mostly in the basement with the lady. She had, like, quite a large uh, food storage down there um, where, she, like, she was real big into canning. So she had a ton of, like, fruits and vegetables that she had canned down there. And she was helping her clean it up. And the lady's, like, heartbroken because even though, like, all her canned goods are, like, sealed, like, you know, mason jars, like, they're yeah. sealed, they were not allowed to keep any glass like all of that had to be tossed which was fascinating um the only food that was allowed to be kept like through this it had to be in a tin oh wow yeah i thought that was a really like nice little nugget of information that grandma 
Barnes gave me. She said the lady was so distressed about losing her collection of canned goods that, like, she vowed to only ever have stuff stored in tin from here on out. And I thought that was, like, it really shows how disasters, like, it affects, like, lifelong changes. Oh, absolutely. You know, I know, like, with a pandemic, like, I'm already doing things differently that I didn't do before. It's strange. Ultimately, it was concluded that the failure was caused by a combination of geological factors and design decisions that did not adequately adequately take these factors into account. Specific design deficiencies include complete dependence for seepage control on a combination of deep key trenches filled with windblown soils and a grout curtain, geometric configuration for a key trench that encouraged arching, crackling, and a hydraulic fracturing in the brittle and erodible backfill. They use crappy, crappy backfill. Like, it was, like, readily available, so they're like, we'll use it. Like, it was cutting corners. Reliance on special compaction of the impervious materials as the only protection against piping of materials in open joints. And finally, inadequate provisions for collection and safe discharge of seepage and inevitably would incur through the foundation, rock, and cutoff systems. It took years after the collapse to rebuild everything um, that the floodwaters had destroyed in its path. A week after the collapse, President Gerald Ford requested $200 million appropriation for initial payments for damages without assigning responsibility for the Teton Dam failures. Like, we're not, we're not blaming anyone. So here, but here's some money. The contractors were basically off the hook because any and all evidence was basically washed away with a flood. Like, if oh you're going to cut, that's true. Yeah. If you're going to cut corners and fuck some shit up and you don't want to be held accountable, let's build the dam. Like, well, now it's all stored in computers, but still. Yeah. So, yeah, they were off the hook. By January of 1977, or over 4,800 claims totaling 194 million were filed by victims. The claims program continued through January of 1987, over a decade after the Teton uh, Dam collapse. In the end, the federal government paid out a staggering $322 million. Wow. It's a lot of fucking money. Yeah. Especially when you're not holding anybody accountable. Um, so from what I gather, you can actually still go check out the dam site. Um, it's not really maintained, so it might be a little trek. Uh, it's also never been rebuilt. Like they just let it go. Uh, if you want directions, I read that if you're looking to check it out, you just go east on state highway 33 past Newdale and watch out for that big historical marker near a road going off to the left. The damn site is at the end of that road. And those sound like terrible directions to me, but that's <laughs> what I got. Um, and I'm actually going to button this story up with a poem that appeared in, the Rexburg Standard Journal, uh, the summer of the collapse. Um, the author's anonymous, um, but I loved it and I thought it like deserved a revival. Okay. It's called Bill to Uncle Sam. It was the 5th of June, an early summer Upper Valley day. I was working in the garden and the kids were in the yard to play. At 12 o'clock, we all went in and cleaned our shoes off by the door so as not to track in the mud on the shiny kitchen floor. Then the guy on the radio said, Believe me if you can't, because there's 80 billion gallons headed for us from the Teton Dam. My husby said, We'll probably get a lot of water in the basement, dear, but just in case it's worse than that, let's take the kids and get on out of here. I told him, Bring some diapers and a baby bottle, if you will, and we loaded up the car and headed for College Hill. We found out downtown Rexburg was crazy panic traffic jam because there was 80 billion gallons headed for us from the Teton Dam. When we heard the water covered up the steepled Wilford Church, we knew the folks in Sugar would need to find higher perch. Then by 3 o'clock, the valley was covered by a raging lake and all the cows in Hibbard went surfing on a 12-foot wake. A huge logs from the sawmill turned through buildings like a battering ram the day that 80 billion gallons were flushed out of the Teton Dam. 
While our photos and pianos are soaking in smelly mud, our basement's full of water and our garden's covered with crud. If we find our houses, we clean them out for what they're worth. They'll be scrapping up this muddy mess for years from here to Firth. If I sound a little bitter, it's for certain you say I can't. I am. Because right now, the upper valley isn't worth a Teton Dam. Oh, wow. So that is basically the whole episode in a poem. And that person is amazing. That is brilliant. Isn't that cool? Yes, I'm so glad that got to be here and heard again. Someone should make a song out of it. It should be you. <laughs> it should not be me. So yeah, that was the wow. Teton Dam Collapse in 1976. I'd never even heard of that. It was a lot of fun. Now I'm ready to go back to Idaho and get me a square ice cream. <laughs> I don't even know enough about Idaho to know what's there. I never knew anything about Idaho until I met my husband. And then we went, we've been several times and I'm pretty convinced that people don't know about Idaho is because it's the most beautiful place in the world. And Idaho, people in Idaho, they don't want other people knowing about Idaho. Oh, I can respect that. But now they know. <laughs> I can definitely just respect Put it on blast on a podcast. Well, now they're going to sue you. <laughs> oh, I finally got one. <laughs> the beautiful state of Idaho is going to sue me. They were trying to keep it a secret. Hey, go big or go home, right? Uh, yeah. Well, at least you're finally going to get sued. Yes. It's a team effort. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for that story. That was a very, very good one. Well, thank you. I can't wait to hear what you get next week. Yeah, that was that was kind of a classic. That's yeah. what the whole podcast is about kind of thing. Yeah, I love it. All right, girl, I'm going to bed. All right, good night. Good night. Hey, Horrible Ghouls. Hope you enjoyed this week's episode. If you would like to share your personal MarkSafe moment, you can send it to us at MarkSafePodcast at gmail.com. Please give our podcast a rate, review, and subscribe, and tell your buddies about us too. That goes a long way. If you want to further elevate your support, check out our MarkSafe Patreon page, where we have shoutouts, goodies, and some bonus content in the works. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thanks again, and as always, stay safe.